This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. All right, good afternoon, everyone. We are going to um, try to work through this as much as we can. I've got way more material than time, and um, hopefully you do have the notes for this, or you can download the notes, and we can pull this through. I wish I could have started with this session versus the one I did yesterday, because this session is kind of like the A, and yesterday's session is kind of like a B, but hopefully we'll be able to walk through this practically together. I hope I have enough time to go through enough to give you time to ask questions or bring concerns. I love to do that. I like a good debate. I love a good dialogue when I can have it. Uh, but the key is to give you as much insight as I can today and to hopefully challenge you again in thinking about this process of help. So I want to ask, do I have any pastors in the room? All right, I see the first hand. Would you pray for us, sir? Open us up in a word of prayer. That's about Heavenly Father, in the first name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Father, we ask for Heavenly Father that you give us an understanding heart, that's the teaching that we bring forth your word today, Father, and may we do all things that please you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. One of the things that I try to stress, I've been teaching now uh, again at the Bible College in Houston, Texas, called the College of Biblical Studies. I also teach at Bob Jones University. I teach at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I'm over our minister or a master of arts program at, uh, where is it? I'm brand new there, so I'm still remembering the name of the school. Central Baptist Theological Seminary. It's in Plymouth, Minnesota. We have a D-Men program and an MABC. So if any of you are ever interested in doing something in biblical counseling, it's fully accredited on Zoom, which I love. I sit in my office in Houston. I have students in Zimbabwe, Paraguay, you name it, and we're all together online. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if you're ever interested, please let me know. I'd love to get you set up. We've got a D-Men program starting uh, this year, or at the beginning of the year. And we have an MA program that you can catch at any time if you're interested in just moving forward in biblical counseling. So that's my shameless plug Go for, it. for that seminary. But what I want to talk about, biblical counseling and counseling is a very controversial issue. I've had the privilege of teaching this now for about 30 years. And over these last 30 years, it's the same arguments that come up in different ways. And it really boils down to, your again, understanding of the nature of man. I sent that, uh, presented that last week or yesterday. I want to highlight that more today because what you'll discover is your view of man, if you don't have a biblical anthropology, then you will be deduced to embracing the cultural ideologies of what it means to help man and the process of change. And the problem is the world is inconsistent. The world does not see man as God sees man. So what I want to do is to show you the different sides of the coin that if there is a debate about the nature of man, there will always be a debate about the problem and the solution. So my hope is that we can walk through this and let's start with the first premise, which is this. Your view of mankind will determine how you define problems and solutions with mankind. And that's a very important premise. And I hope that as you study the mental disorders and you study all of the issues in the world, check people's view of mankind before you assess their direction. Their view is very important because if they don't have a biblical anthropology, they're not going to give you a biblical answer for the issue and the solution. 
Part of the challenge that we have in the world today is that man is worshiping man, and as a result, they're not accepting what God says about man, which means sin is not the problem and Christ is not the answer. So therefore, what are the alternatives? Medication, self-esteem, a good job, et cetera, et cetera. When sin is not the problem and Christ is not the answer, you're open to so many different things. So your view of mankind is important. Now, I want to give you some $50 words that you can impress tonight at dinner. Ask some people some of these words. But these words are important because behind these words are the worldviews of people that are determining the direction of counseling in the medical world and all those different places. So let's start with the first one, your evolutionary perspective of mankind. Again, if you have an evolutionary perspective of mankind, here's what you'll see. You'll believe that man is basically good. Therefore, if the problem exists, it has to be a disorder within that individual. This is the abnormal for the human condition. In other words, if man is basically good, then when something is wrong with him, he's abnormal. There is a disorder because people are basically good. You heard that before? Sounds familiar to you? You know, when people say I'm basically a good person, then we ask, why do you do bad things? And they talk about society, and I say, well, who is society? Because if you're basically good, why are you doing any evil at all? But that's a whole nother discussion. Another word, $50 word, materialism. Again, biblical views versus unbiblical views of the nature of man. And my argument to this whole point is this. How you see mankind will determine what you believe are the problems and the solutions. Humanism. One has faith and hope in mankind's wisdom, abilities, and perceived goodness. Therefore, if one is not able to deliver himself from his own mental, emotional, behavior problems, he or she, they are classified as degenerates or as disordered. That's what humanism basically upholds. Materialism, only what you can see, that is what exists. If you can't see it, it's not real. Now, this humanism idea, this is where you get all of the, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. This is that Disney model, believe in yourself, follow your heart. You ever seen that? You've heard that before? You know, every person that comes on, they say, you know, my name is so-and-so, and I just want you to know, if you can believe it, you can achieve it, and, you know, just believe in yourself because we believe in you. Well, that's very dangerous because the Bible says, he who trusted his own heart is a fool, and he who walks wisely will be delivered. The Bible is careful to tell us that to lean on our own understanding is not something that we should ever do. It says the heart is deceitfully wicked, desperately sick. There's a way that seems right to man. But it weighs the end of death. So the moment we believe in ourselves, I tell people I'm five, five and a half. I hold to that half. Okay? <laughs> that half is important to me. I don't care how much I meditate on a regulation basketball goal and think about I can fly. It doesn't matter. No matter if I can believe it or achieve it, I will never be able to dunk on a regulation NBA basketball goal. Why? It was not in the design. The moment we buy into humanism, the idea that if we believe in ourselves and we can achieve it, we're following a lie which is inconsistent with the reality of what God says about us. So the point I'm making is your view of mankind has a lot to do with how you define the problems and the solutions. Here's another one. Try this word sometime tonight. Biodeterminism. What does that mean? Mankind's behavior is controlled by genes or some aspect of the body. How many times have we seen that in the cultural wars where there's race relations versus grace relations? In the cultural wars of race relations versus grace relations, someone is a dominant, someone is less than because of the gene pool. 
you know, and the idea that if you have problems, it's probably because of your genes and we have better genes than you have and so on and so forth and so forth. How many times have we told, been told bad behavior is because of something happening in our bodies? Well, that's not consistent with scripture because scripture says bad behavior is because something is wrong with the defilement of our hearts. So the moment you embrace something different, then you'll go somewhere different. Here's another one. Now, this is one of those really big words. If you can get this right tonight, you'll impress people. It's called individual degenerationism. Individual degenerationism. Let me tell you what that means. When something is mentally, emotionally, or behaviorally wrong with a person, and that impairment or distress persists, then the problem occurs apart from the normal human nature. Thus, this person became defective at a point in that person's history or within that person's biological makeup. Can I tell you what they're saying? There's something wrong with you. It's your fault. Because we're basically good. Maybe there's something in the gene pool. Maybe there's something you should have did you didn't do. But it's all on you because basically we're basically good people. So if there's anything wrong with you, you're the problem. You're the degenerate. Because we're all basically good. Say it again. They've never worked in the nursery. I know. Many of them don't have children, but that's another story. <laughs> so, with that in mind, what is the implication from these $50 words? People are basically good and can overcome distress and impairments in their own internal or by their own internal resources. Those who cannot are degenerates. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a moment. This is where the mental disorder world is coming from. This is what the culture is talking about. This is what they believe about man. And so all the stuff that we see as solutions and all these things that we see are the problem that they say are the problem is coming from a view that is inconsistent with understanding the nature of man. But again, we're seeing your view of mankind. I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. will determine how you define problems and solutions. Let's look at the other side of the coin. We think about this from a biblical perspective. The creation perspective of mankind is this. Mankind was created good, but because of evil, positionally and conditionally. As a result, people are positionally and sinful and conditionally sinful at birth. Therefore... If problems exist, it has to do with their natural sin position and condition. This is the normal way of the human condition. So let's make it plain. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is that not what the Bible tells us? We can see sin at three levels. We see it at the level of position. You are positionally a sinner. We can see sin at the level of condition. You are naughty by nature, right? And we see sin as a practice. Because of your position and condition, you practically sin. That is the reality. The Bible tells us in Psalm 58.3, the person in the womb is born wicked. So therefore, this is a condition of the natural, normal human race, which means we're all with depravity. Right? I tell people at our church, the closer you get to anybody, the clearer you get to see and experience their depravity. True or false? Ask anybody that's married, and they'll tell you. Right? You see stuff when you get close. And the idea was that closest was to help bring out and help you grow in sanctification. That's why change is a community project. It's never meant for you to be alone, but that's for another topic another time. But the reality is a biblical perspective of the nature of man is that we're all sinners. Dualism. 
Mankind has a physical dimension and a spiritual dimension. Now, that's very important because the culture rejects that. The culture believes that we're just physiological. What we know biblically is that we are spiritual and material. Moral determinism is another word. Behavior is determined by man's moral choices, which have their origin where? In man's spiritual dimension. Now, why is this important? The moment you believe that bad behavior can be caused by the brain, as we talked about yesterday, then you are subjecting yourself to a physical understanding of man, not a biblical one. In other words, the world believes that man is just body and brain. So they think bad behavior is a problem with the brain. So we need to fix the brain chemicals. We need to give them medicine. We need to help them love themselves better and just give everybody a big old hug. The Bible is very clear. Bad behavior is because of the defilement of the heart. If you try to modify behavior without transformation of the heart, you will have a relapse. That is why I tell people we're not interested in recovery. We're interested in transformation. Recovery is to take you back to where you started. We don't want to take you back to where you started. You started at the base of sin. We want to take you from where you started to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So in reality, if we understand this moral determinism, your condition is based upon your choices, not something outside of you, but something inside of you. And there is an answer. There's a solution. But your view of mankind will determine how you define and see the problems. Given that, now, here's another one, big word, try this tonight, universal degenerationism. Universal degenerationism. What does that mean? What we just said, the normal human state is universally weak and depraved. Now, we may not, might not like hearing this, but we're all degenerates. That's not exciting, is it? How is that to help you feel good about yourself? Okay? We're all degenerates from the start of our lives. We're all in need of regeneration and renewal. Because all have what? Sinned. What's the implication? People are weak and wicked and are all degenerate and in need of regeneration and renewal. I always tell people the gospel is only good news for wicked people. That's right. Now, I said if you're offended, that should say something about you. Because the gospel is only good news for wicked people. That means in order to have need the gospel, what do we have to be? Isn't that something? That is the reality of walking in the first step of humility, recognizing who you are, who you're not, and what you need to become, and who's in control of that reality. The moment we can embrace that, it changes everything. But again, your view of mankind will determine how you see problems. Here's the second thing. Where there are competing worldviews in how you define problems and solutions of mankind, there will be, again, competing worldviews on the issues such as mental illness. And as we talked about yesterday, there is a secular idea of mental illness. There is a biblical idea of mental illness. Let me give you just kind of an overview. Secular humanists believe that fixed false beliefs are the core issues of mental illness. We do not disagree in the biblical counseling world. We believe that mental illness is a part of the fixed false beliefs. In other words, it's not a medical reality. It's a f one of the soul, one the way one believes, which is inconsistent with reality. Here's just on the sidebar. You didn't pay for this, but think about this. You don't catch insanity. It's not a disease. Insanity is a progression. The more you reject reality, which is sanity, where do you go from rejecting reality? Insanity. It's a progression of rejection of reality. And what is reality? The objective standard that God has set for us in the presence of Christ and the word of God. 
When Pilate said, what is truth? The answer is, is the objective standard by which we measure reality. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the... He says, sanctify them in truth, thy word is... So if we want reality, we look at Jesus, we look at the word of God. Insanity, the idea of going insane, is not a disease, it's not inherited, it's not a gene pool. It is the fact that if I reject what God says, I have nothing left but fantasy. Which again, insanity. Okay, that's for free. All right. Second thing, secular humanist constructs mental illness created and theorized through a medical model. What are we saying? Well, they believe that mental illness, because by the terms they use, mental illness, something is wrong with the brain. That's why they say that, because why? They reject that man is material and immaterial. We can say, we get your presuppositional thinking. We're not throwing, quote unquote, the idea of mental illness out, we're throwing out where you bring it from. So in other words, from a biblical worldview, constructs of mental illness are interpreted and evaluated through a biblical grid. Again, if you take Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding, we see the same thing in man that a secular humanist would see. However, we give it different labels, which gives it different directions for resolution. Does that make sense? So what we challenge with mental illness is not does it exist, we challenge the labels. In other words, I'm not going to find schizophrenia in the Bible, but I'm going to find schizophrenia in the Bible. I'm not going to find the word depression in the Bible per se, but I'm going to find depression in the Bible. We're going to reject the labels, but the descriptions that you are talking about, we can easily see in Scripture. And there is an answer from the Word of God that goes deeper than what the world provides because God's Word is sufficient. The moment we can see that, we challenge the culture, not so much in the concept of mental illness, or now they say mental disorder because they recognize it's not really an illness. We challenge the concept to say, where are you getting this from? We have the same observations, but you are talking about it from a presuppositional thinking that says man is only body and brain. So we're seeing the same thing. You're calling it something different. We can take what you call it and show you how to address it because God's word is superior. That's not arrogance. That's reality. Does that make sense? And that's where we stand from. So on the other side, they believe that mental illness, again, originates from the physical brain. We believe that mental illness originates from the spiritual mind. Uh, they would say that mental illness is a physical sickness of the body. We would say mental illness is a sickness of the soul. They would say, if we want to handle it, we're going to manage it by medication and talk therapy. We say, no, we can cure it because it's not a physiological issue. It's an immaterial one. And what's the cure? Faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Salvation, sanctification. You say, is it really? Absolutely. Sure. It is the cure. The more we stand on the word of God, the more we see God's word transforms people's lives. It's just that simple. The moment we believe that they have a cure that's inconsistent with what God says, we are always going to be cluttered with confusion in our minds. But isn't that what earthly, natural, demonic wisdom does? It brings confusion, disorder, and the Bible says every evil thing. Now, with that in mind, let me go to the next step. So, where there are competing worldviews on how you define problems and solutions of mankind and competing worldviews on how you define mental illness, of course, there are going to be competing worldviews on what? Counseling. I have spent the last 30 years of my ministry and life as a professor challenging 
all the different counseling models that are out there. I have been put out of churches because of challenging the counseling models. I have been challenged by many professors. At one of the schools that I love dearly that I graduated from, I had to have a lovely fellowship with that team because they were trying to figure out why I wouldn't allow my students coming out of college to go into their graduate programs. I said, because what you're promoting is inconsistent with scripture. Well, how so, Nicholas? And then we begin to talk about these competing worldviews. Let me give you the three major views of counseling. It doesn't matter what kind of counseling is out there. It's going to fit in one of these three categories. Because, again, where there are competing worldviews on how you define the problems and the solutions and competing worldviews on how you define mental illness, there's always going to be competing worldviews on counseling. Psychological counseling, the most popular. What does it do? It combines human observations and human wisdom to construct a system of counsel to help man deal with his problems and issues of life. This type of counseling is generally practiced by non-believers and Christians who accept psychological theories as an avenue to help people. Just pick one psychological theory and go through the grid of scripture and ask some questions. How does this model view the nature of man? Does this model believe that God exists? If I were to apply this model, what do they believe is the problem and the solution? Does this model lead me to become more like Satan or more like the Son of God? Which kingdom does this model promote? Just answer some of those basic questions. Talk about the nature of man, the nature of God, the nature of sin. If you just go through that and look at any of the models out there, you'll see they're inconsistent with Scripture. But that means you're taking time to dissect it. But the psychological counseling says, I'm a sin-sick individual. I've got this great stuff I want to help other mankind or others with. God does not exist. We're our own gods. Here's some insight to help you with your life. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why so many Christians embrace it. And here's what they say to me. They say, but Dr. Allen... There is some good stuff in that stuff. I mean, if you study some of the Freud and some of the cognitive behavior therapy, there are some things that line up with scripture. I said, okay, dumb question. It's just a dumb question. If it lines up with scripture, then who took it from whom? And do I need theirs if I already have the pure word of it already in scripture? Exactly. Well, I mean, can't we integrate? I'm going to talk about integration in a moment. And we'll see that if we're integrating the way they talk about integrating is not truly integration. But we'll get there. But the point I'm making is just study some of the basic premises of psychology. And where they are right, the question is, how do you know they're right? Because what did you have to pull up to see if they're right? The word of God. Now, am I making this stuff up? Or is that true? Now, the second school of thought is what we call integration counseling. That's where, you know, how I'm dating myself. How many of you remember I'm a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll? Y'all remember that show you used to come on? The Osmond, you know? All right, see, I'm dating myself. Me and you can talk, man. We're about the same age, right? Well, that's what integration is about. You take a little bit of country and rock and roll. In other words, you're going to take a little bit of the Bible and a little bit of psychology, and you can try to mix it together. That's why people are confused in the church right now. Let, let me explain it. It says, combines human observation, human wisdom, and the Bible to construct a system of counsel to help man deal with his problems and issues of life. This is sometimes called Christian counseling. This type of counseling is generally practiced by Christians who believe the Bible should be supplemented with psychological theories in order to help people. See, here's their idea. We can learn from the social scientists. And since we can learn from them, they have some great stuff we can use. So why can't we mix what they have with the scripture? But only if what they say lines up with the scripture. 
Now, let that sink in for a moment. So you're telling me that in order to do integration, I'm going to take what the psychological world has to offer, and if it lines up with Scripture, we're going to use that, but the stuff that doesn't line up with Scripture, we're going to throw that out. No. Is that integration? <laughs> no, that's not. That's not integration, is it? That's just taking the watered-down version of truth that they have and just cleaning it up. So integration can't really, and I'm talking Bible with counseling, not integration in what we say in the culture. So let me clarify that because somebody hear this and go, he's saying integration doesn't work. I'm talking about <laughs> on the recording, counseling, psychology, and the Bible. That's what I'm talking about. Is everybody with me so far? All right. Amen. What point am I making? You can't mix them because they're contradictions. You've got a worldview that believes that there is no God from the Bible, and you're trying to say, we can put this together. And this is why we're seeing people in the church saying we need to love ourselves and die to ourselves at the same time. This is why we're hearing people say, well, you know, there are. You know, you can't love to learn others, so you learn to love yourself. And they'll take that verse, love your neighbor as yourself. I said, boy, if you take a text out of context, you always get a con. You know that? <laughs> there are only two commandments in the Bible, not three. And if you study the context on these two commandments, not three, Love your neighbor as yourself means as you already do love yourself. Right. Nowhere in scripture are you told or commanded to love yourself because you already do. People are like, how can you say that? What about the person who wants to commit suicide? Who are they full of? Themselves. Who are they deciding to take control over? Themselves. Who are they trying to bring comfort to? themselves. What about the person who's cutting? Well, they're cutting for one or two reasons. They're either trying to do penance or somehow cutting brings them some kind of pleasure. Who is that for? A person who talks about how much they hate themselves, who are they focused on all day? Themselves. Be not deceived, guys. You're never not thinking about you. Let me give an example. I love to do this with married couples. Someone to come in, they're so angry about their spouse and so angry about their husband, and they go on and on and on and on. I said, well, tell me why you're so angry with them. Well, you know, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. I No, 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 keep going, but tell me why you're so angry with them. Why they didn't do this, they didn't do that. I said, let me interrupt you. You're angry with them right now because they're not thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. Is that not true or false? True. So in that hypocrisy, they're doing the very thing that you're doing. You're full of yourself. They're full of themselves. But you're mad at them because they're not as full of you right now as you are of yourself. <laughs> so I'm confused here about the real issue. They're doing the very same thing you're doing. Doesn't that kind of make you a hypocrite right now for being angry? Yes. Are you guys striking with me on this? Yes. That's what bad psychology will give you. Confusion, disorder, and every evil thing. You already love yourself. I tell people the problem is no one ever loved you as much as you love you. That's why you're always disappointed other people. You're so full of yourself, no one can love you as much as you love you. That's why you're called to die to yourself. <laughs> now, that doesn't sound exciting, but is that not reality? Right? <clears throat> this is what integration has to offer. So the last school of thought in counseling, this is the one we keep promoting. I've been promoting for over 30 years now, and that is biblical counseling takes the Bible to construct a system of counsel to help men deal with his problems and issues of life. This type of counseling is generally practiced by Christians who believe that the Bible has all we need to provide the solutions. Listen to the words clearly, non-organic, in material, what the world calls psychological problems. You catch that? 
I can't fix your physical heart with the Bible. Okay? So if you have broken bones, I'm going to lay hands on you to pick you up to take you to the doctor. If you have a broken heart, I'm going to give you to the Messiah so there can be transformation. Biblical counseling is very clear in its lane. We can't fix the brain through the word of God. We can deal with the heart through the word of God. Okay? We stay in our lane. Unfortunately, others don't stay in their lane, and they try to get in our lane, which is where we have problems, and they say we're arrogant. But in reality, we're being biblical, staying true to our philosophical argument of the nature of man. We understand presuppositionally what the Bible says about the nature of man. We understand that behavioral problems are not physiological. They're heart problems. Therefore, medication is a wonderful support. It's just a terrible solution because it's a heart issue. You can't medicate what belongs to the Messiah and, <clears throat> and, th <clears throat> excuse me, and think there'll be transformation. That is inconsistent. Thank you. Is everybody with me so far? This is at the crux, again, of all the challenges that I've had to work through philosophically with psychologists, psychiatrists, people in different churches and schools, just saying, let's stay biblical. I teach a word of life from time to time. And they always give, I don't think they like me. They send me there in January. <laughs> Anybody ever been to Scroon Lake, New York in January? Well, I'm from Texas. It's hot, hot, hotter. So I go there every year in New York during that time frame. I have over 200 kids from 17 to 21. And this is the kind of stuff I'm teaching. And their minds are all over the place, and they are radically upset. I mean, I got people coming at me at break time, and <clears throat> they don't know how to be polite, so they just let it all go. <laughs> and I love it. I mean, it is a wonderful time. But by the end of the week, somebody's heart is challenged to the sufficiency of Scripture when it's all over. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not intimidated by psychological labels. Why? Because God has given us everything we need. It's a worldview, not science. And the moment we see that, we can challenge it with all we know as relates to Scripture. All right, my time is getting close. When am I supposed to be done? Is it 2.15? Yeah, 2.15. All right, let me keep rolling here. And, well, oh, I do want to ask questions, but i got to keep rolling. I'm going to try to give time at the end. All right. Where there are competing worldviews on how you define problems and solutions of mankind, competing worldviews on how you define mental illness, competing worldviews on counseling, there will be competing worldviews on how to help people. Is that just not the logical thing that's going to happen? So let's look at man-centered help versus God-centered help. And let's walk through some of these together. I'm going to read these out and I want you to process with me. Man-centered help helps the person to identify and change their mistaken beliefs about self, others, and life, and participate more fully in a social world. God-centered help helps the person identify and change sinful beliefs about self, others, life, and God, helps the person participate in genuine fellowship with God and other Christians as he or she interacts in the world without what? Functioning according to the world system but by the word of God accordingly. Two different types of help. Here's another example. Man-centered help helps the person to disclose and reevaluate feelings and behaviors, to understand and accept previously rejected aspects of herself or himself, to take risks to become more open 
and honest about herself or himself, to learn new methods of living with self and others, and to gain new satisfaction from life. God-centered help helps the person to disclose and reevaluate feelings and behaviors in light of God's word in order to learn who he is, who he is not, according to God's word. This is not to lead him, or this is to lead him to put off sinful methods of living and live by righteousness gained by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is to result in living for God and emptying, enjoying satisfaction, if you will, gained from living for God. Now, I'm not going to finish the list, but you see the difference. One is about helping me be a better me. One is about guiding a person to the transformed image of Jesus Christ. This is why I tell people, you don't necessarily need a life coach. Now, you say, oh, you're going too far. Well, not in the sense of a life coach to help you to be a better you. God is not interested in a better you. God is interested in a transform you. See, the problem with image bearers that try to be image definers is that we get in trouble. We weren't meant to define. We were meant to be image bearers. We were created in the image of God. And the moment we try to define ourselves apart from the image that God made us, we get into all kinds of crazy ideologies about our existence. And the idea that we believe that we can define ourselves is the problem. We were meant to image the very nature of Jesus Christ. And what happens now, we're either imaging Christ or we're imaging the world. One will ruin us, one will revive us. And our lifestyle is exposing what we're trying to image day by day. The moment we can grasp that simple reality of our existence, it changes the nature of how we help people in the process of change. Well, let me keep going through this. And let's go back to another position here. I'm sorry. This thing is. I want you to think about these 16 questions. But before we do that, let me go back one more. I want to make sure I got some things. All right. With these 16 questions, these are the questions I would ask you to take any model of counseling any model, and just sit back and answer this. When I'm working with my students at the master's level, I have a class called Comparative Analysis of Psychology, Biblical Counseling, and Integration Counseling. And what I have them do is they have to work through the 12 big models in psychological counseling. Then they have to work through the five ways that Christians see psychology and counseling, and then they work through the biblical counseling model. But part of their research is they have to answer these 16 questions. And so they have to walk through every model and have a genuine interaction with that model with these questions. Consider this. According to this model, what is the assumption about the existence of God, his role, his rule in relation to creation of mankind? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? You want to read any counseling model and say, okay, what does this model assume about the nature of God and his role in life? Well, let's take cognitive behavior therapy. Let's take behavior therapy. Let's just pick one. What is their assumption about the nature of God and his role? Not there. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) So who is God then in those particular models? They are. Huh. Is that earthly, natural, demonic wisdom? Does not Colossians 2.8 say, See to it that no one holds you captive through vain philosophies and the traditions of men? Yes. Huh. Didn't Psalm tell us, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked? Huh. 
Why would I accept that insight if it's inconsistent with the standard that God has already set? Here's another question. According to this model, what is the belief about the nature of man? Just body and brain with no spiritual dimension, both physical and spiritual dimension? According to this model, what is man's basic problem? According to this model, what does man need to resolve, or what does he need to resolve his problem to become whole? According to this model, what is the process of methodology of providing man what he needs in order to resolve his problem to become whole? According to this model, what is the evidence that one has resolved his problem and become a healthy whole human being? Here's another one to consider. What does this model lead man to do in relation to thoughts, words, and deeds? What does this model lead man to become in character? What kingdom does this model represent overall, God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom? How does this model compare or contrast with the doctrines of God, the doctrines of creation, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of suffering, salvation, and sanctification as explained in the Bible? What are the biblical scriptures and principles that support or refute this model? What is this model's primary source of knowledge? Is it empirical, scripture, theology, philosophy, personal experience, history? How accepting or distrusting is this model in embracing contemporary counseling psychology? Is the goal of this model to pursue a distinctive understanding of human nature to which only Christians would subscribe or a universal understanding that all psychologists, counselors, regardless of their worldview, can recognize and affirm? Is this model's primary allegiance to the church or the broader community of scholars and practitioners in the culture? Is the model's primary task the acquisition of knowledge about human beings or the renovation of human beings according to God, not according to God, or the cultivation of godliness, moral character, and love. Take any secular humanist model. Walk through those questions. What are you going to discover? <clears throat> Is it compatible or incompatible to conservative evangelical doctrine? So why are we listening and embracing it? Why is it in the church? Because if we're not solid in our understanding of who man is and his problems, we will take on things that are inconsistent. And this is what we're seeing in the church. Now, what I challenge people to consider is that everybody has a worldview, and we need to be more biblical in our worldview. And I love Summit Ministries. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but Summit Ministries, you want to look them up. They have great insights on teaching how to cultivate a biblical worldview. And they look at 10 key areas and show you scriptures on how to evaluate. And it's my contention, if we're going to really have a good sound theology, a good sound defense for what we do, a way to really help people biblically, we need to cultivate a sound worldview in these areas. We need to understand a biblical view of philosophy, of theology, of biology, psychology, ethics, uh, sociology, law, politics, economics, history, we really need to get on board with what the scripture says about these things. Here's why. Your view of counseling will be determined by your worldview. The more biblical your worldview, the more biblical your counseling will be. The less biblical your worldview, the less biblical your counseling will be. Your teacher will determine your counseling since no student is above his teacher, but when fully trained will be like his teacher. You must determine again if your view of counseling has been shaped by Satan or the Son of God. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to open the floor. We've got about five minutes. I want to hear your thoughts, concerns, criticisms, comments, you name it. I'd like to hear from you. Yes, sir. 
How would you distinguish mental disability from mental illness? Well, they don't do a good job of it, <clears throat> but where there's a true mental disability, there's something physically wrong with you. For instance, someone, um, I forgot the new term because I want to say it properly, mentally challenged. That's the new term for it. <clears throat> there is something wrong with their brain and processing. That is a real matter. However, that is a matter of the physiological brain. So where I can process at a certain level, they can't. Where I function at a certain level, they can't. However, their choice to do right or wrong is not tied to the capacity of their brain. Their choice to do right or wrong is tied to the issues of their heart. Our job is to speak to them at the level of their understanding to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like we would anybody else. Does that make sense? They would fit the same way because that's a physiological issue that is proven to be physiological. That's not determining their choice to do good or evil, right or wrong. So we'd want to deal with them at their level of comprehension, as we would anyone else, to give them the insight that's necessary and watch for God to work on their hearts as well. Does that make sense? Yes, yes sir. How about anxiety? <clears throat> anxiety, same thing. Anxiety is a spiritual matter. Now, here's what psychologists say anxiety is, and I'm going to show you from the book of Genesis what it is. They say anxiety is a fear for no apparent cause. Now, when the Bible uses the word anxiety, it's talking about worry. The problem is it's been diluted, so we don't know when people say anxiety if they're talking about worry or the, what psychologists say, a fear for no apparent cause. Now, when they say a fear for no apparent cause, what they're saying is this fear, it comes and goes. We can't trace it to anything external. So therefore, we call it, that's the word they use, anxiety. It's a fear that we can't trace to anything external. The reason why they can't trace it to anything external is because it's caused by something internal. Exactly. But because they reject that man has an immaterial nature, that's as far as they can go. So what they say is, where there is anxiety, let's give them medication. Now, the first view of anxiety is seen in the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked. That was a fear that didn't have an external cause as psychiatrists have been rightly examined. But what caused that fear? He said, because I was naked. We know that he was already covered physically when he said that. That nakedness was not a physical. He was talking about a sense of guilt. Okay? So the first time we see anxiety in the Bible, quote, unquote, the way the psychologists say it, because they have a limited view of man, they can't address it as we as Christians can. So when someone tells me, well, pastor, I have anxiety, my question is, what are you anxious about? Well, I don't know. Okay, so then I know that's the fear of God's judgment that they're dealing with in their heart because they have a guilty conscience because of something else. My job is to make the connection. What if they are, they can name what they're anxious about. So then it's worry. It's society around them, it's so on So that's worry. Okay, so and the Bible tells us what to do with worry. Just do not do it. There you go. And it gives us ways of how we should not worry, and we have scripture passages to work it out. See, when we stay biblical, it, there's no gotcha. You know, if it's a fear for no apparent cause, it's because there's a guilty conscience because there's another sin you haven't addressed. If you tell me what the cause is, then that's worry. And the Bible says a whole lot about what we need to do about worry. <laughs> We've got books and scriptures and people who've done a lot of writing on that, right? Does that make sense?
Thank Great you. question. Yes, sir. Uh, the questions regarding integration counseling. Yes, sir. And it's kind of going off of the first question. Uh, it's similar in that you, you seem very against integration counseling. Oh, I am. But would you say like sorry I thought I had the question already it's alright take your time process it out can, so you would say like the the secular insights no, don't contribute to our understanding of counseling they don't but you did give an example of when they do in the case of uh, the example he asked, correct? Right, because a broke clock is right twice a day. Okay. So they're made in the image of God. Every now and again, they'll get it right. But I don't need what they have because I have the entirety of it through the sufficiency of Scripture. I, I guess my question, yeah, that, that helps. Does understanding of how our world works help us interpret and apply God's word better? Oh, I think it does, but what we're talking about is, do I need what secular humanists have to say in psychology to help me address a person's life? That's what integration is about, saying we can't do without what they bring to the table. And the problem with psychological observation is not the observation, it's the interpretation they bring to it. So if you put a psychiatrist, you put a biblical counselor, you put an integrationist in the room, and a man is beating his wife. Observation, they would all say, we see a man beating his wife. But then when you get down to, what do you think caused that? Now we're going to get into a whole lot of different ideologies according to their view of man. So our whole challenge is, observations are never the issue. It's the agenda behind the observations because they don't have a biblical anthropology. So therefore, we can see the same things, but we're going to draw different conclusions. We could, but it's not necessary. See, the point is, we can take it, we just don't need it. That's the idea. And most times people try to force that. I don't need your observations when the scripture says that he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. They're helpful. Forget Again, somebody says, we've discovered through 300 people that if you stay up all night, you get sleepy. That's helpful. Okay? And we've discovered that sometimes being sleepy, you could have certain uh, illusions or hallucinations. Okay, that's helpful. But if I'm doing scripture appropriately, I don't necessarily need that to help this person deal with their issues. It's helpful, but not needed. Does that make sense? The moment we try to say we need it, we're saying the Bible is not enough to deal with those matters. When we say it's helpful, I say, amen, it's helpful, but not needed. Yes, sir. And then back there. What role, if any, do you have for medication? Wonderful support. Just terrible solution. The moment you use medication to solve versus support, you've missed it. Does that make sense? Wonderful support, terrible solution. Yes, sir. Quick comment, quick question. On that issue right there, Keith Lambert's Theology of Biblical Counseling, Common Grace section, answer. Absolutely. Oh, related to that. What do you think about Kelly Kaepernick's book, um, You're Only Human? I haven't read it yet. I started to pick it up today. Um, and something, I just haven't read it yet. But I, I I was very close to picking it up. Is there something I need to know? Is there a gotcha in it or something? No, I asked because it's here at the bookstore. 
Okay. And it seems very integrational. It probably is. It wouldn't surprise me. Unfortunately, in evangelical circles, we're more integrated than pure biblical counseling. You are True. rare. And yeah, and that's just scary to me. Yeah. It's sad. <laughs> yeah, that scares me. I've been in some places and I thought, oh, we've settled this issue in this part of the country and we have not. Well, unless you yes, know sir. the Bible. Sorry. Amen. True. Amen. Yes, yes, sir. And then we're here, sir. Yes, sir. Like most of the things we see in the world, we've integrated more of their stuff than they've ever integrated of ours. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would agree. Yes, sir. I was just going to say. What we need to settle is, is the word of God sufficient? Yes, sir. And that is the problem. Now, I settled it 30 years ago, but I keep getting into a fight with people who don't believe me. <laughs> In the world of counseling. And so I keep getting these battles. I'm not trying to get into I'm just saying I'm trying to stand what Scripture stands on this stuff. And I don't mind talking to anyone if we just hold the Bible as a standard. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.